All right, guys, can we just do one more thing? You're, you can stay seated. Just want to pray. Just begin to pray for freedom for your neighbors this morning. Just pray. You don't even need to know what you're praying for, but just say, God, we just declare your freedom would reign in this room this morning. We declare that freedom would break into a heart for the first time. I believe there are people here getting saved today. Father, the love of God would invade that heart, that broken place of depression. Father, we just bless you, we praise you, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I just feel like tonight, you know, you guys know we're having we're having our community dinner, right? This could be a moment to really invite someone that needs some hope. Just want to encourage you, those of you who don't know, we obviously, we have our Christmas party tonight. There's food, there's fellowship, but how many of you know there are people who don't have families to celebrate Christmas with this year? There's, there's a loneliness that comes with Christmas at times. I just believe, let this be the year where someone is not left alone. I just be like, God, even if you're here today and you don't have plans, I want to encourage you to come and be. So Father, we thank you for what you're going to do today, what you're going to do tonight, what you're doing in hearts this season. We bless you. Everyone said, amen. All right, enjoy this video. I just want to declare today that the God we serve is mighty. And uh, that video that you just saw was from uh, the Watoto Children's Choir. They are a group in Uganda, Africa. Uh, those are actually orphan kids that are singing that song. And they've come to Manchester and visited. Uh, years ago, I had some of them stay over my house uh, for the first time while they were up visiting, like years, years ago. Funny story, um, you know, I, was, I got to drive some of them home in my car. I played some music. And they're like, what is this? I was like, this is rap music. And they've never heard rap music before. <laughs> so I was so shocked. <laughs> Anyways, um, we are continuing in our series, Realistic Expectations. And we are doing... Oh, is this working? Sorry, guys. One second. I guess if you need to click back there. All right. So we are continuing our series out of Isaiah 9, verses 6. And we are on Mighty God. So listen, if this isn't going to work, I'm just going to point to you. Every time I point up, you give a click. All right? We're on the same page. Awesome. All right. Mighty God. We're going to do, uh, we're into mighty God. And my question for you today is, how mighty is your God? How mighty is he? Uh, in Psalm 145, I want to read this to you. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. 
No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor, your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonders of goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Amen. Now listen, the God that we serve is amazing. It's, he's incredible. And when you read the Bible, page after page after page is filled with stories of him doing amazing, incredible acts. And today, I just want to share with you a few of them. I know I have a ton up on their screen. Man, I wish I could be here all day just telling you story after story after story, uh, but Craig won't let me, all right? He knows you guys got family. He knows you have to go home. But God has done incredible things. And every now and then, we have to remind ourselves of those amazing things that we, he's done because it builds up our faith. We say, man, if he could do it back then, why can't he do it now? Amen. So, I mean, let's just think about this, all right? You know, there was Moses, this, this people that um, were living in Egypt, right? They were enslaved for 400 years. God speaks to Moses and says, hey, Moses, I want you to go deliver my people. And Moses looks at him like, listen, like, who am I? Man, I was just kicked out of Egypt because I killed a guy. Like, I'm not the guy to go and deliver your people, right? I stutter. But nonetheless, God used Moses. 12 plagues later, you know, they were on their way, all right? And then what does God do? They, they get to a point where they think, man, they're cornered, that they, they, God's not going to pull through. And in the end, God splits a sea. They march through. And not only that, but right behind them, he closes up that sea and destroys the greatest army in the world at that time. You don't mess with God. All right. Not only that, you continue on reading in your Bible and not that uh, far along. You get to Gideon. All right. The nation of Israel during that time, they were uh, just being decimated by the Midianites. All right. Uh, Gideon himself, he was trying to uh, make food or, or, or press food in a wine press. He was basically hiding because the Midianites would, the Midianites would come and steal their food. And he was scared. And all of a sudden, an angel pops up to him and says, mighty warrior. He's like, dude, dude you got the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm hiding in a hole right now. You know? And, uh, and, but God had a plan to deliver Israel even at that time. You see, when we aren't following the Lord, when we're doing our own thing, we don't put him first, we end up in some precarious situations. But God, at this point in time, he wanted to show the whole nation how strong he was. So what does he do? Gideon grabs an army of 32,000 men. You know what God tells Gideon? Dude, you got way too many people here, bro. I don't need all these guys. Send them home. He ends up whittling down his huge army to 300 men. How many of you guys ever seen the movie 300? All right. Yeah, <laughs> this is God's 300. All right. Anyways, he says this because... He's like, man, if, if you have too many people, they're going to take credit and people aren't going to realize that I'm the mighty God behind all this. So in the end, this army that they face of 135 people, so 100, yeah, 135 soldiers gets destroyed. That's incredible, right? You have David and Goliath. You guys better know that story, all right? We're failing you in children's ministry, all right? <laughs> but anyways, this giant comes against God, and he's making fun of the God of the Israelites. 
And it takes one shepherd boy who put his faith and trust in God and says, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. Putting a rock in that guy's forehead, all right? And he takes him down. But he says, listen, you come at me with spear and javelin, and I come at you in the name of the Lord of God of heaven's armies. David wasn't afraid. He knew the mighty God that he served. Then you have Joshua in, in the wall of Jericho. It's amazing when you praise God, what walls can fall down in your life. The story that I want to focus on, though, for a minute is actually Hezekiah and the Assyrian uh, synachronym. You see, during the time that we're talking about right now, we're talking about uh, back around 600 years before Jesus was born, that prophecy in Isaiah, that's the time period that that prophecy came forth. And Greg delivered a message uh, two weeks ago, and he talked about King Ahaz. He was the king uh, before King Hezekiah. So if you guys remember that story, uh, Israel and Syria were going to attack Judah, which was the southern half of Israel at that time. You guys notice, even in the news today, uh, people like to just try to take out the nation of Israel. It happens over and over and over again, right? But during that time, all right, uh, King Asa really, uh, he didn't really put his trust in the Lord. Then a new king came out, King Hezekiah. And it says, if you start reading in, in 1 Kings, uh, it's amazing how, how Hezekiah actually took, uh, he took all the idols, everything that people were doing, and he destroyed them. And he wanted his nation to follow after God. Sorry, it was 2 Kings, not 1 Kings. So if you read in chapter 18 and 19, Hezekiah, his city of Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrian army. Now, this is crazy, all right? And, and if we were living in during that time, I'm sure we would be terrified because here's the backdrop. Assyrians have gone through every nation surrounding Israel and they have been destroyed. Every nation has been taken over, taken out. Anybody that stood against the Assyrian army, boom, they're done. So Sennacherib, he goes to the 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 city of Jerusalem, and he basically surrounds it. He lays siege. And in laying siege, what, what, what the idea, what the, concept, what the concept was, that he was going to basically starve everyone out. Food and water, man, it was going to get ugly. All right? I, if I go, man, starving to death is not the way I want to go. All right? I'm glad there's a dinner later. All right? Awesome. Food is good. All right? But he, uh, anyways, Hezekiah, all right, he's there, and Sennacherib confronts him, and he says, listen, Hezekiah, what do you think you're doing? You're trying to put your trust in the Lord God Almighty? Every single other nation that I've come against that have put their trust in their God, I've destroyed. What makes you think you're any different? Now, here's the deal. You know what Hezekiah does? He goes and he humbles himself before the Lord. And he says this. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these other nations. They have thrown down the gods of these nations unto the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them, for they were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone, shaped by human hands. Now God, O Lord, rescue us from this power. Then all the kings of the earth will know that you alone are God. Do you guys know the rest of the story? Something incredible happened. 
Isaiah was still around during this time. So Hezekiah, you know, went to the prophet of the day and the prophet gave them an amazing prophecy. But this is what God did. An angel of the Lord was sent. And it says in the word that the angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. And that man that shouted, that shouted the fact that he was going to destroy God's people. You know what? He didn't just do it in his own tongue. He did it in Hebrew so he could strike fear in the hearts of every single Hebrew in that land. And I'm just going to tell you one thing. You know what Satan's tactic is, will always be against you? Is fear. He wants you afraid because he doesn't want you trusting in God. He wants to give you bad news. He wants to tell you over and over again that God isn't the God who he says he is. However, he is. And not only that, but Sennacherib marched back to his nation and his sons stabbed him to death. Man, he did not have a good end. All right. Uh, but it goes on. Man, time after time. How many of you guys know the story of Elijah when he went up against Baal? How many of you guys know that story? All right. Elijah stood against 400 prophets of Baal. All right. All day long. All right. <laughs> and this is an awesome story. If you've never read this story, Elijah had a sense of humor. Right? So what they did was they had this contest. They were going to see what God could call fire down from heaven all right, and, and eat up uh, a burnt offering to the Lord. And of course, Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go, go, go first. All right? They're singing, they're dancing, they're chanting all day long. All right? After a while, Elijah starts making fun of him. He's like, hey, 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 guys, listen, I don't know if you're shouting loud enough, all right? but maybe you could shout louder. All right? or, or, or maybe your God went on vacation. Or maybe he's in the bathroom, <laughs> all right? All right, and they started making fun of him. But boom, it's Elijah's turn, right? And to make, make sure everybody knows the power of God, he starts dumping water on the sacrifice. He asks him to dig a trench around the burnt offering, and he keeps dumping water and more water, more water. It was, it was crazy, all right? Yeah, he is. He's crazy for God, man, all right? And then all of a sudden, he prays, and boom, fire from heaven eats up the offering, and all the rocks, all the stones that they built the altar with. It was crazy. Then, not that long after, after Elijah, you get Elisha, all right, right? And now he's there, another city surrounded by God. The, the servants afraid what's going to happen. And boom, God opens the eyes of the servant. And Elisha says these famous words. There is more for us than against us. And Elijah's servant looked up, and there was an army of God's angels with chariots of fire all around them. And then Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel's a guy who prayed three times a day. And the people around him that were working with him were jealous. How is Daniel, uh, how is he being elevated to the third in the nation? Man, he is not of his blood, man. He, he's, he's been around too long. He's too old. People wanted his power. They, they came up with a plan of his demise said, hey, king, everybody should be worshiping you. If anybody else worships you, you should throw them in the lion's den. The king didn't realize that his main man, Daniel, it was going to happen to him. Anyways, God shut the mouths of lions and saved him too. Now, countless people have witnessed firsthand the mighty power of God in incredible ways. Have you? I want to ask you a question. Has you seen the mighty power of God work in your own life? If not, why? 
Why haven't you seen this? Why do some people experience the power and might of God in their lives and others don't? I want you to sit on that question just for a second and think about it. Why do some people see God move so mighty and some people never experience him moving in their life at all? I'm going I'm to give you guys a few keys, a few points that the Bible really brings out. And I'm going to tell you that the number one thing, if you want to see God move in your life, number one thing is, is, is humbling yourself before God. People that see God move on their behalf, it all starts on their knees. The song that we sang earlier fits right along with this. And, and there's an amazing verse, right? If you guys have never, have never read in Psalms, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, why would it say that? Because when you acknowledge God for who he is, that he is God and you're not, things start to change. It says it's the beginning of wisdom. Wise people know their place. They know the God who created everything. They don't try to do everything in their own strength, in their own power. We can talk to him. We can commune with him. He knows everything. You did a good job last week, Steve. He is our counselor. Next slide. What humility looks like. It starts by taking yourself off the throne of your life and putting God there. He needs to become your Lord and not just your Savior. So many people, they call themselves Christian. Man, I go to church Christmas and Easter are being in between, you know? And sure, he may be their savior, but they're never gonna see God move in a powerful way in their life. There's a huge difference when God is your Lord because now who's calling the shots? Not you, he is, you're right. But also that takes time, right? When you put him first, you actually have to listen. If I wanna get instructions from my boss, who is Greg, right? I got to listen to him, all right? I got to take time, set up meetings, do whatever I need to do to make sure we're on the same page and I can follow through with what he wants me to do. See, God's amazing. He's strategic. He's got plans. He's got things he wants you to do. But so many, so much, so many of us are so busy. Now, granted, I know we're busy. We live in New England. I've lived in a lot of other parts of the country. And man, we are so fast-paced here. Man, the seasons are changing. Man, I gotta, we, got, we got two weeks of summer. All right, I got to get squeezed that in. All right, like things happen. All right? I know, all right? It's so quick here. You go to Boston, it moves even faster down there. And God forbid you drive slow. Good luck, all right? You're going to get run over, all right? But you got to take time to put God first. And it shows because sometimes it's not convenient. Right? When you take time ahead of time to pray, right? Take time the first part of your day, the end of your day, and start seeking the Lord and saying, God, I want you to go before me. God, I want you to show me. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. It takes time. And it's painful for some of us. All right? Next thing. Uh, when we take time to seek the Lord first, for his will to be done. On, here on earth, we unleash the power of heaven. 
right? I, and I need you guys to think about that for a minute. When you're taking time, you're literally saying, God, like, come and help me. And he's like, yes. Thank you for asking. I mean, think about it. There is a whole army of angels out there ready. That's what their job is, is to minister to us and to help us. We're stupid. I'm going to be honest. We're stupid when we don't ask for his help. Why don't we do that more often? And that's the whole point of this message is that, guys, I want you to be an army of people who aren't afraid to call on the Lord for help. Because when you start calling on him for help, you're going to see God move. And God's going to be able to do a lot more in this world, all right? Not just in your life, but in our community as well, all right? Humility takes responsibility, all right? This world is messed up, and it needs a savior, and so do I. And I just want to tell you something. You know, everybody, most people, they want to point, and they want to say, man, this world is so messed up, and who do they blame? They blame God. A lot of people will blame God. But here's the deal. God didn't mess this up. When he created the earth, he created it perfect. Guess who screwed it up? We did. We need to take responsibility that we have messed up our own lives. We've messed up our family's life. We've messed up our community. But when we start taking responsibility and saying, God, I want to put you on the throne of my life. I want to put you on the throne of my family. And I want to stake your flag of victory, even in our community. Then he starts to move. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a progression here. We need to take responsibility for our family. We need to take responsibility, sorry, sorry, for us first, for our family, and then for our community. If we want to see addiction be gone in this community, we want to see this culture changed. It's up to us. God's called us to do it. If we want to see Manchester and Southern New Hampshire change and New Hampshire change, and we don't want to be the least church state in the country anymore, who's going to do it? We have to volunteer and say, God, use us. You start getting this and you're going to become dangerous. Seriously. Start getting this. Like, I need you to become dangerous. I want Satan totally scared when you walk in the room. Because you have the power of the living God inside you. But you don't just get it by osmosis. You don't just get it by sitting in your chair. You got to get on your knees and get on the same page with God. Next step is faith. Now, when you want to see God move, all right, some of you guys got to step out into what God has called you to. I guarantee you that if everybody here was like, man, God has a plan and I am saying yes to it, If you were to do that right now, a year from now, things would start looking different. They would start looking different, not only in your own life, in your marriage, in your family, but also in your community. Stepping out of the boat is hard. Stepping out on the boat takes courage. Stepping out of the boat takes faith. And you notice that as long, if you know this story, as long as Peter had his eyes on Jesus, dude, he was walking on water. It didn't matter that there was a storm around or whatever was happening. He was walking on the water. But as soon as we take our eyes off of God, guess what happens? We sink. I'm here to remind you, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. 
Guys, there is power in his word. There is power in his promise. There is power in his name. We're going to go through this quick. We activate his power by meditating on the word and allowing it to transform us. The first thing that God is concerned about is, you know, we have problems in our life, is that he wants to work on our own hearts. He wants to mold us and shape us into his image so that he can be used by us. When we go and we start to, you know, tell everyone about Jesus, but we don't look more like the devil, it doesn't work. If we're going to speak it, we also need to live it, act it, and be an example of him. There is power in his promise. By faith, we stand on the promises of God. We watch for him to work. When you read the word of God, there's a lot of promises he has in there, and you have to take ownership that they are for you too. When you stand on his word, you allow him to act on your behalf. And there was power in the name of Jesus. You know, it was interesting. When you read, uh, I believe it's in the book of John, it says, you know what, I'm going to do a new thing. Before you've prayed, but now you're going to pray in my name. And when you pray in my name, the Father is going to hear you. The fact is that when Jesus died on the cross, an amazing thing happened. The veil that was in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies and the rest of the people. What happened to that veil? It was torn down. It was ripped from top to bottom. And man, that was a feat because that thing was thick. But God was saying in that moment, hey, from now on, you don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to anything. You can come directly to my throne room and present your request, your request to me. Because you're my child. And I paid the price for you. There is power in his name. There's power in the cross. See, Jesus had to come down. He had to pay the price. And that blood that he shed on the cross, that was to cover everything. That was to cover your sin. That was to cover your, your, your shame, your pain, everything. But that blood has no power unless you apply it, unless you take ownership and say, God, I need that. God, I'm going to cover myself with it. I'm going to cover my family with it. I'm going to cover my situations for it. Those stripes that he bore were for your healing. That same God who did all those miracles in the Bible is the same God that you serve. And he's not done. He is not done. I'm sure he's sitting up there all the time waiting. He's like, dude, when is, when is, when is blah, blah, blah going to let me in? When is he going to unleash me? When is he going to let me help him? How many times have you ever seen a little kid struggle? You know? Yeah. Right? Baby Jesus came for a reason. He came for you. Um, at this time, I want everybody to take their communion cup.
Chris, if you want to come up here too. <clears throat> and I want you to just think about this too. Salvation is really found in the mighty power of Jesus. When you realize who he really was, your life will be changed forever. And God showed me something. When I was praying uh, the other morning um, about this message, you know, it was, I was actually like half asleep, half awake. Uh, and God just showed me a picture of a door. It was the door to heaven. And, and I know a lot of people, they, in this world, they will try to get into heaven one day based on the fact that they think that they're good. Hey, I'm a good person, so, so I should just be able to go in, right? But I was talking to my man, Hiro, the other day, uh, just this Friday, and he was saying, ah, Kevin, think about this. If I go to any stranger's house and I go up to their door and say this, hey, man, you should let me into your house. <laughs> They're like, what? And they start telling you how good of a person they are. All right, guess what's going to happen to them? All right, they ain't getting in. <laughs> Most likely, all right? Um, but it's the same with God. He is the key to the door of heaven. He's the key if you want to get in when you die one day, but he's also the key for heaven to be unleashed in your life. And this is what we're going to do today. You are going to take communion on your own. I am not going to lead you through, you know, the blood and the, and the, and the body being broken. I want you to take time. But what I also want to do is this, all right? Um, we've talked about God's mighty power and how it's available to help us deal with any life's situations. But we need to bring those situations to him. We need to bring it to the altar and lay it before his feet. And what I want to do this morning is I want to open up this altar. And prayer team, if you're here, if you will come too, all right? This altar is so underutilized. Listen, if you come up to the altar, don't be ashamed. You're coming to the Lord God Almighty, the God who created heaven and earth. And here's the deal. We're here to stand with you. So in just a few moments, I'm going to ask. All right, you can go to the next slide. First, I want to say that Jesus came for you. And if you're here today, if you never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want today to be the day. I want today to be the day where they wrote, write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see, I know I'm going to heaven one day and I can't take anything else with me but people. And I want you to be there. I want you to be there. I don't want to be there without you. But in order for you to be there, you have to make the decision where God is going to be your Savior and your Lord. So today, the altar is open. And the second thing is this. I told you that veil was torn so that we can confront life's problems and that we can receive God's power and his wisdom. If you're here today and if something is going on in your life, why not today? Why not put a stake in the ground and say, today is the day where I'm going to give my stuff over to the Lord? If you're dealing with a sin issue, if you're dealing with financial issues, if you're dealing with a marriage issue, whatever it is, you need God to show up in a mighty way. Bring it to him today. Amen? All right. So this is what we're going to do. You guys have the communion. 
Now, here's the deal. If, if you are not a Christian, all right, and you don't know Jesus, the Bible says you shouldn't take communion. Or if there's something that you need to reflect on or ask God a forgiveness for, like do that first and then take communion. But we're just gonna sit for a minute. But I wanna tell you, come to this altar. It is a statement of faith. It is showing God that say, God, I need you. God, I want you. Hezekiah got on his knees and God showed up in a mighty way. We need to do the same thing. So we're going to do that. You guys would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and if you don't know the love of God, if God's love has never invaded your life and your heart, today is the day. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now and come up here. If you're sitting in this sanctuary today, and today's the day where, where I want Jesus, today is the day where your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, today, that God's love and God's power will encounter you and touch you like he never has before. And if today you have something in your life that you want to lay at God's feet, come and do it now.
I just encourage you to, to stay and wait in the presence of God. Pray for the people that are up here at the altar. Join them or even pray for your family. Pray, pray for your, your neighborhood. Pray for any situation that you want God's mighty power to move.